Elizabeth. Who's ever heard a sermon preached on Elizabeth before? Mm, one or two. One or two. Okay. So, this is a, a lady that often is in the background at Christmas. Um, but you don't put baby in the corner, so we're going to bring her out. And uh, going to get Elizabeth front and centre today. So Advent is a season of preparation over these next four Sundays. We're going to look at different characters in the uh, story and uh, reflect on what we can learn from them. So we only find Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. That's the only place she's referenced in the Bible. Um, And we're going to focus on three passages, three stories, three parts of that story. And we're going to see what we can learn from her. So this is... Picking up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. The birth of Jesus and the Baptist is foretold. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zachariah's vision was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Zechariah asked the angel, how can it be? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth 
is the first person in the New Testament that we encounter who experiences a personal miracle. She's the first one to, to, have a, uh, to encounter a miracle in the New Testament. And so we're going to just focus a little bit on this first part of the story and see what we can learn from her. What we discover about her is that she was a descendant of Aaron. This is the tribe that was set apart to stand in the gap between the people and God, to to represent the people before God, to serve uh, the people before God. And her husband, Zachariah, was one of that tribe too and served as a priest. And what an amazing testimony this is of this woman, that she was righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Wouldn't that be a fitting epitaph to have on your tomb? What an amazing story that is. If we know nothing else about Elizabeth, wow. Wow. How many of us could say that of ourselves? But we also discover that she was childless, that she was unable to conceive. And as we meet uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth in this particular story, we discover that they are advanced in years, beyond childbearing age. Now, if you know your Bibles, you'll know that that's not an uncommon thing. And, and actually, there's a couple of stories in the Old Testament where this has happened as well. But you know, for, for Elizabeth, at this point, let's, let's just contemplate what this meant for her. So you're not being able to have children would have caused her immense hurt and pain, and particularly in that culture, in that context. God said to the people of Israel in Leviticus chapter 26, he says this, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I'll keep my covenant with you. There's a promise there from God to the people of Israel that they would be fruitful and increase in number. They would have children. They would be able to conceive and have babies. And that was a sign of his favor and his blessing. So it was a reward for obedience because you are going to observe that's what's going to happen to you. So when you look at Elizabeth's situation and you flip it on its head and you see somebody that was childless, someone that couldn't have children, does that mean that she was somehow not favored, somehow disobedient? And not blessed by God. And for Elizabeth, there was the added shame of this, which was that she was not able to give to Zechariah, her husband, what he would have hoped and longed for. And that would have brought him shame and disgrace because he was also in this situation where he was childless. And so, therefore, he was also sitting under that same level of shame and that same sense of condemnation, perhaps, of others. What have you done wrong that you can't have children? He was a priest and yet he was not able to experience the favor of God and the blessing of God by having kids. And Elizabeth would have felt that very keenly. She would have carried that pain and that hurt upon herself. She was somehow letting her husband down, failing him. This overwhelming sense of shame and disgrace would have followed her every day. She would have lived with that pain and that sense of emptiness, that sense of not having, being able to do and fulfill what she felt and what was 
the people around her certainly would have felt was, was her duty. You know, not being able to have children, even today, carries a lot of pain. Now, there are some people who choose not to have children and choose to, that's their path. But for some, that decision is not theirs. For some, like Elizabeth and Zachariah, they're not able to. And that's really difficult. Some are not married and are single and have chosen that path. And as a result, have chosen that that will be, what the, what that will be their story too. The reasons and the cause of why we do not have children do not in any way lessen the pain that that can sometimes cause. And let's acknowledge that sometimes as church and sometimes as Christians and sometimes as human beings we say things which we don't mean to cause offence but we do and we just use language which is, which is challenging and difficult. We say things in a way which means that we alienate people and we put uh, uh, labels upon people. But we feel that sense of disgrace, that sense of shame, that sense of failure. But that's not just about being childless, is it? Many of us, many of us feel that sort of stuff. And it may not have nothing to do with having no children. But we feel a sense of failure. We sense, we sense this, and somehow we have let ourselves down, let others down. Many other reasons why we have those experiences, those feelings. Those of you here last Sunday or have been able to listen back to it, I referenced that book, Emotional Healthy Discipleship. And in there, it talks about, in fact, that we need to embrace the difficulty and the pain and the sorrow not to run away from those feelings, not to try and hide them away, not to suppress them. But actually those feelings, those emotions, are often the most fertile places in terms of our growth. And as we reflect on this story of Elizabeth, we can recognise that here was somebody who had to face up to what she was feeling, had to face up to the reality of what she was experiencing, and had to lean into God in the midst of that pain, rather than simply asking God to take the pain away. Because let's face it, that's often what we do, isn't it? <laughs> that's often our prayer. Rather than actually acknowledging the pain, we want the pain to go away. What we discover here is that this woman, with all that was going on for her, she continued to be obedient to God. She continued to honour God. She continued to support her husband. She continued, as they did together, to live holy lives. Do we have the courage to remain faithful in obedience when things are difficult? How often is our response to come to God and to cry out to God to take the pain away, to change the circumstances? to try to run from those negative feelings, that shame, that guilt, that, that sorrow, whatever it may be. The positioning that Elizabeth takes in this place is to lean into God. And that would have helped her and would have set her up 
that she would have been well prepared to, to, to be the mother of the forerunner and all that he was going to experience. Now, in this particular story, God honoured that courage and faithfulness and that obedience in Elizabeth. And he says, you're going to have a child. And she says, in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let's be very clear on one thing. We don't obey God in order to get what we want out of him. This isn't a transactional decision that we make. We don't choose to obey God in order that he has to do what he says he will do and therefore do what we want him to do. That isn't how it works. That's not how Elizabeth lived her life. But God did honour that and God did bless her. Now, sometimes in life it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes for us it doesn't happen and, those, and the pain doesn't go away. God doesn't change the circumstances, but he does promise 100% that his grace is sufficient, that he will be there for us. And we need to have one another's backs as well, don't we? We need to be mindful of one another, conscious of others, thinking about what we say, how we say it, how we support each other, what it looks like for us to be community family, that we're not putting undue pressure on people or, or forcing people. Another of the books that I was reading, which is connected into the sort of whole theme of um, this human sexuality uh, stuff, I talked about how today in our culture we have somehow made a god out of marriage in our churches. That it's it's the it's the kind of big thing. It's the it's the it's the go-to. And if somehow you don't attain that, then actually we're missing something. That sex has become this idol, and that's just not healthy. It creates undue pressure, makes it difficult and challenging. If that's not your journey, if that's not your experience. But it's very easy to slip into that language that we use that, become, that assumes that that's the norm, that's the expected, that's the way it should be. And it isn't always how it's going to be. So we need to be mindful of how we talk to, to, in, in our community, how we talk as church, to one another, with one another. But do we have the courage to remain faithful, to be obedient to God, even when things are tough, even when everything in us is crying out to run? Elizabeth was somebody of that courage. The story moves on, and uh, the next part of Luke, um, Angel Gabriel was busy because he goes and sees Mary, um, and then we pick up the story in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Put yourself in Mary's position. You know, young girl in her early teens, Angel Gabriel turns up, says, you can have a child. Um, okay. But actually, has, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to conceive 
Okay, right. This is a little bit out of my comfort zone here. Um, what do you do? Who do you talk to? You can't go to the rabbi because they'll think you're cracking up. You know, you can't talk to your parents because they'll think something Joseph's been up to no good. So who do you talk to? Well, the one person that Mary could talk to was Elizabeth because Elizabeth had also had this encounter Zachariah had the encounter with Gabriel, but Elizabeth was also experienced his miracle, not quite to the same extent as Mary. But there was this similarity of experiences, similarity of journey, and so Mary went off, hot-footed off to see Elizabeth and spent time with her trying to process what she was going through, what she was experiencing. As we've seen, Elizabeth was the first person in the New Testament to experience a miracle personally. She was also the first person in the New Testament that we read of who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, in, uh, earlier on, Gabriel says to Mary that the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Holy, Most High will overshadow you. So that's what's happened to Mary. Gabriel says to Zechariah, John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. But for Elizabeth, we find her here being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we kind of read that post-Pentecost and go, okay, that's what happens. But let's put this into the context. The Holy Spirit hasn't really it's been, been around, but it's not, not in the same way as he has been after Pentecost. There's been 400 years where we haven't got anything in the Bible. God seems to have been quiet. Elizabeth hasn't really got a lot to go on here. She's not kind of got a lot of experience to talk around others that have kind of written books about this stuff. One of the books, again, another one of the books I read over the sabbatical was about the prophetic gift and how that is exercised in church. There wasn't a book on prophecy that Elizabeth could pick up and read. This is, this is all very new to her, very new to the context. And we miss that because we come to it with all of our experiences, all of our post-Pentecost stuff, where it's something we talk about more often. But for, for Elizabeth, this was groundbreaking stuff. And the question is, what did she do with that? She speaks prophetically into that context. She she is filled with the Holy Spirit and she speaks prophetically over Mary. How do we respond to that? How do we handle when God asks us to do something? And it took courage for Elizabeth to be the person that, to act as she did here. Just sit there for a moment and think to yourself, what, what if you'd been asked to come up the front and lead the prayers this morning? How would you have felt? What would you have been doing for the first part of the service? How would you have been feeling in that moment? Because not all of us are used to being at the front and, and speaking with a microphone. Now, obviously, there's a slightly different context, but that, that sense in which those nerves and that sort of... Mm, that you would have felt, Elizabeth was kind of thrust into this scenario where she was filled with the Holy Spirit and, and Mary's there, and she feels that God's given her this prophetic vo- word to speak over Mary. What does she do? How comfortable are we to speak a prophetic word? What if I've got it wrong? (laughs) 
What if I've misheard what God wants me to say? What if I'm going, this is me, not what God wants to say? How do I know what this is what God wants me to say? How, how do I judge that? And bearing in mind again, as I said, there's no sort of, no, nothing to kind of really go on here. No one else to talk to. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She feels God said something to her. She's got to say it and she has to speak it over Mary. For a woman in that culture, in that context, took great courage to do what she did. And she was a trailblazer. She was pushing the boundaries. She was doing something that people hadn't done before. And how willing are we to make ourselves vulnerable in doing what God asks of us to do? And it's not necessarily standing at the front talking. It's not necessarily prophetic words. But when God says to us, give an invitation out to your neighbour, what feeling do you have coming through your, coursing through your, blow, your bones at that moment? Do I really have to do this? You know, this is not, we, we, we kind of, again, we read this stuff and we read it post-Pentecost. We read back into it how we think of it today. But this was, say, so this is groundbreaking, trailblazing stuff. And Elizabeth, in that moment, as she was filled with the Holy Spirit, as she spoke these words over Mary, was taking a great risk. But she made herself available to be used by God in that, to, to encourage Mary, to stand with Mary, to support Mary. There's one final encounter we have with Elizabeth, and that's in verse 57 of chapter 1. And the story goes like this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives with that name or who has that name. Now, we know from chapter 1, we read it earlier, that in the, uh, in the temple where Zechariah has this encounter with Gabriel, Gabriel says to Zechariah, you're going to have a child and you're going to call him John. So the name has been chosen by God, given to Zechariah through the Gabriel, angel Gabriel nine and a half months uh, before the birth happens. So Zechariah and Elizabeth... For nine and a half months, knew what the baby's name was going to be. They knew it was going to be a son. They knew what was going to happen. Uh, and yet for nine and a half months, they haven't been able to talk. <laughs> they haven't been able to speak to each other for nine and a half months. Some of you married couples are going, whoa, that's a blessing. Uh, I'm not saying anything. But that's what they'd... Be Imagine being part of that household for nine and a half months. How on earth have they been communicating? They had no tablets, no phones. You know, it's like scrolls, writing in the dust. How? How? There's no paper and pens. How have they been communicating for nine and a half months? But Elizabeth has got this message. She's heard this via somehow. How? How? I don't know how she's held, but she's heard and clocked it that this baby is going to be called John. And so at, at that point, as they're about to circum, uh, circumcise this baby, 
and they're about to name him Zachariah, she has a choice. What does she do? Now, women in those times really didn't have a voice in society. They really didn't have as much clout as we women today do have. They were kind of left to the corner. They were kind of, they meant to be seen and not heard, kind of stuff. But Elizabeth knew what God had said. Elizabeth knew what God had told her husband, was gonna, what the, the baby's name. And in the midst of all of that context, all that hullabaloo and celebration of going on with all the family in the temple as they're circumcising this child, she has to make a choice. Elizabeth decides it's time to speak out. Now, in that moment, we know that Zachariah has been told by the angel that he's going to not be able to speak until it's all fulfilled. So then, again, they know that, but they also don't know when that's going to happen. When you've lived without not being able to speak for nine and a half months, when's it going to happen? When's my voice going to come back? When am I going to be able to speak? At what point in that? I don't know. They weren't, clear. They weren't given any, any specifics there that at this point this will what happen. So she had to step out and speak even though she didn't know her husband was going to be able to back her up, even though she didn't know what was going to happen. But she made that choice in that moment to speak out for the truth, for what she knew God had said to her in obedience to him. And that took incredible courage and strength. Speaking up for the truth is not easy. Standing on the truth, speaking out in a context in which we find ourselves, is not easy. How do we do that within our relationships as a church community? How do we speak truth into one another's lives? We talked about that last Sunday, didn't we? Reflecting on that idea of how we encourage each other. How we speak truth to each other. We need to reflect on that. It takes courage sometimes to have those difficult conversations. Here was Elizabeth, this woman of God, who had lived a blameless life, who was willing to speak up, even though it would have been difficult for her. So here we have this woman of courage, a woman who was willing to remain faithful and courageous to remain faithful in obedience, even though everything within her, she was struggling with those negative feelings. And she probably wanted to run away. She kind of pressed in. She remained faithful to God. She was willing to be used by God, even though it was uncomfortable, even though she hadn't got anything, any frame of reference to go by. When God asked her to do something, she, she did it. And she was willing to speak up. So let's take Elizabeth out of the shadows of Christmas. Let's bring her into the, scent, into, the, into the light. Let's learn from her life. Let's live those lives that are righteous, obedient, and honoring to God. Let's pray, shall we?